listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Leslie Gower, the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of General Contractors of East Tennessee, the impetus behind Construction Career Center. Leslie is deeply ingrained in the Chattanooga community as any native, except she's not a native of Chattanooga, and she only arrived here six years ago. Leslie, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before I ask you how you quickly found your place in the Chattanooga business community, let me ask you, what's in your morning cup? Well, unfortunately, a lot of creamer. <laughs> I like my coffee tasting like cotton candy, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Just cream, no sugar. Uh, well, it's that it's that terrible creamer that's bad for you that has all the sugar included and, and like artificial flavoring. So yeah, there's sugar in there. So I do the grocery shopping, and when I get on the list from Susie that says creamer. I always have to go to the refrigerated section and look for the one that has all the unusual flavors yeah. and all the sugars. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And it's seasonal. So now it's pumpkin spice or whatever. Are peppermint. You a, are you a pumpkin spice or a pepperminter? Uh, peppermint and uh, pretty much just the general um, like sweet vanilla kind of stuff. So yeah, that's oh, what's good. in my morning cup. Well, there you go. <laughs> and it gets you going. Well, again, welcome to my morning cup. Thank you for joining us. I want to know how someone who is a journalism major from the University of Georgia ends up at the Association of General Contractors. <laughs> and I, I know the story is not, is not just recent. So let's go back and talk a little bit about how you got started. You get out of school and what do you do? I get out of University of Georgia and I move to Detroit, Rock City, and become a public relations director for the International Hearing Society. I didn't know you lived in Detroit. I did. I did um, back in the early 90s and um, worked there for a couple of years and realized, you know, I don't like snow that much. <laughs> and so I got started in the association management world right out of college. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved it. You know, it's association work um, gives you the opportunity to get involved in all the different facets of business. You work with a lot of different people. And it just kind of it grabbed me and... Um, I got recruited to a firm in Washington, D.C. after that that managed a bunch of different associations from a, a bunch of different industries. So um, when you get into that sort of world, you have to really be a student of that industry pretty quick. Go back to D.C. Yeah. That's got to be ground zero for associations because everyone's there with a presence lobbying everyone. It is. It is. Pretty much every association is based in a capital. Mm -hmm. And of course, being in the capital of capitals, that that is really where most of the associations have their headquarters. Mm -hmm. So the firm I worked for was a headquarter for several different associations that didn't want to have a full presence, a full office. So, but it was it was fascinating to live in D.C. But there's a lot of walking involved. You know, I love visiting there. Right. Um, but it's not an easy place to live. No, it's so. expensive. And yeah, it, it was, and um, it wasn't exactly the culture I was looking for for my lifestyle. So when you say you, you got into the association world and you fell in love with it, I'm trying to go back to journalism major and, yeah. and your thought in majoring in journalism and then getting out of school a few oh, years oh. later. Did you say a few years later, boy, I'm glad I didn't get into journalism, or boy, I picked up all these skills that really helped me in my job today? Well... 
to be honest, I did not want to be a journalism major. I wanted to be an English major and be, you know, talking about the great authors and being in front of a classroom and teaching. My parents were like, no, thanks. (laughs) We're not paying for that. Uh, That's not what we're paying for. (laughs) So if you want to write and all that, you make sure that you can do it as part of your job. So uh, I had a kind of a double major. One was journalism, one was English. And um, and so the journalism school uh, at Georgia had PR as a part of that. And so that's sort of the avenue I drifted into. Similar path to me. I was a journalism PR major oh, really? at, at Tennessee. And I remember my dad distinctly saying, what the hell are you going to do with that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for my parents to be like glad I was in journalism, that told you what they thought about English. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell one quick story on my dad. He used to say to me when I was a kid growing up, Mike, you'll never amount to anything sitting on your fat butt watching television all day. <laughs> and, you know, that's great advice. And then I got my first job managing a television station, yeah. and I had five TVs in front of my desk, and I would call them once a week, and I'd say, Dad, guess what I'm doing? I'm sitting on my fat ass <laughs> watching television all day. <laughs> I love it. Take that. And, and he ended up taking great pride that I, I, I diverged from of the career path. And I always found that a, a funny story. So you're, you're using the skills that you like to write. You, right. you're, you're good with people. You're in D.C., but you're a Memphis native. I'm a Memphis native, yeah. What brings you back to Memphis? Well, um, I uh, wanted to leave D.C. I was just done with it. It was time to turn the page and ended up actually in Atlanta with another association, the um, International Sports and Entertainment Strategies managed several different sports associations. So the PGA Tour, not that managed them, but was counseled for them. So they did media buys for the National Thoroughbred Racing Association. They helped form that association. They work with the PGA Tour, Women's Tennis Association, and um, Ham Jordan. Do you remember him? Yeah, he, I do. I remember the, that name. Yeah. The chief of staff. Oh, Hamilton Jordan. Yes, yeah. yes. So he was my boss. Really? Yeah. And um, so that was so fun. I mean, he was such a character. And Tim Smith, who was also a former White House uh, attorney, were my bosses. And they were just the most brilliant people in the world. And so I worked there for a couple of years and then went back to Memphis and um, got into a different lane altogether. (laughs) Absolutely. And before we get into that lane, so you were in Detroit, you're in DC, you were in Atlanta. Uh What were the things you took away from those jobs and those experiences that helped you further, not necessarily further your career, but helped you later in life looking at, okay, I've had these experiences. What were your takeaways? I'll be honest, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was very insecure in the professional realm of things. And And I was introverted and I always marveled at people who could command a stump, you know, or a boardroom or whatever. And I was not that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the background. I was, I would strategize, but it would be kind of internally. <laughs> and so I was never, I never was comfortable kind of standing at the front of the line when it came to projects or anything like that, but it was great support. And so I was in that lane for a long time, but I was frustrated. Mm-hmm because I could see some of the stuff in my work that I was doing getting done, but not under my So you, you weren't getting credit for it. You, you were behind the scenes yeah. coming up with great ideas. We should go here, here, and there, and then someone else stands up and says, I yeah. got a great yeah. idea. It was, it was sort of like that, you know, and you're like, oh, maybe I should be more assertive. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, 
Yeah. And so I was, it was one of those things where I really enjoyed being part of the team and, and all of these things, but I was never, I never really saw myself being at the helm of, Mm -hmm. of the stuff. How did, how did you teach yourself to do that, to step up and get out of your comfort zone? Actually, there's a group in Memphis called the Leadership Academy, and it's, it's very similar to Leadership Chattanooga, but it's for the young emerging professionals. It's not for the CEOs. It's for um, people who are on that sort of train. And my boss at the time was like, you're going to do this. I was like, I can't do that. I'm not I'm not part of that crowd. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. type A. And he's like, you're doing it like a good <laughs> boss does. You know, who they, was your boss at that time? Um, his name was Jeff Sanford. I, I remember Jeff. Yeah. And, uh, he, you know, good bosses force you to do uncomfortable things. And so I, I went and we had this training weekend and it was February. It's freezing outside and it was called Team Truck. And they broke you out in little groups and you competed on these certain like obstacle course stuff. And, and so I was always, you know, in the background going, we should do this, you know, quietly. And, <laughs> da, 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 you know. and at the end of the day... Um, my group went and we met with the coach that was walking around with us. And she was, you know, everybody's sitting there talking about what, what we did right, what we did wrong. And she goes, everybody just be quiet for a second. And she looked over at me and she goes, you. I'm like, huh? <laughs> me? She goes, you had all the right answers almost immediately on how to, how to get it done. But nobody listened to a word you said. Why do you think that is? Wow, what a wake up. She's like, yeah, you know, you, you have value. And, but you're not getting your point across and it's time. And that was, I mean, it just kind of lifted my eyelids and I was like, wow, you know what? She's right. And I swear it was just that little, that little moment Mm -hmm. that kind of changed it for me. So it, it, it opened your eyes to, yeah. did you have to force yourself after that? To be more vocal, to be more assertive. Sadly, no. (laughs) So it was just repressed. (laughs) Yes. Uh, She unleashed the beast, I guess. But but no, after that, I mean, yes, I I still, I'm not comfortable a lot, you know, getting out in front of groups and that might surprise people when they, because I can be a loud mouth from time to time. But for the most part, I, I am much more comfortable and sort of behind the scenes and kind of orchestrating from behind and. You know, I, I think that level of comfort is true for a lot of people who are seen as good speakers, as being yes. out there. I think the majority of those people have to force themselves to do it. And, and and the force becomes less and less over the years. But there is always that discomfort, those butterflies, those, oh, they really don't want to hear from me. Exactly. You know? yeah. So you left Atlanta and you went back to Memphis. And I who did. are you working for? Well, I got back to Memphis and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up working for a county commissioner for a while at a, a, a law firm. And um, one of the clients at that law firm was the Center City Commission in Memphis, which is very similar to River City Company here. It was downtown economic development. Um, I had never heard of an agency like this before that was so ingrained in trying to lift up their downtown. And um, I started looking at what they were doing. I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was cool. And they were bringing these projects to Memphis that were really reshaping what Memphis was going to look like in the future. And so I um, went to the attorney that was their counsel and said, if anything opens up over there, anything, I want it. And he said, well, there's an executive assistant position there for the president, and um, they're looking for somebody. So that's how I got into economic development for 
downtown Memphis. So that was your foot in the door, and you come in as executive assistant. And I think executive assistants are underrated in terms of not just what they do, but the skill sets necessary. Yeah, and um, and I, I love that job. Yeah. I love that job because you really are um, helping with decisions that are important. I mean, you don't have the ultimate say, but you're, you know, you're influencing and part of sort of the inside group that they're meeting with. And I, I just... I really enjoy being second. You know, I, I really enjoy that role. You like the support role. I like the support role, and um, I'm very comfortable there. And that was a great job, but I was also starting to get a little frustrated again. You know, I wanted to see some things done, and, and in that role, I couldn't get them done. So I told him, you know, what I really want to do is ultimately be the VP of Communications this is almost in our interview. <laughs> you know, like, I'll do this, but I want to do this. And he was like, can you even write? And I'm like, yeah. When I used to interview people uh, for jobs, I always liked the person or favored the person who wanted my job. Yeah. Yeah, because that told you you had someone who was interested in the position, who was willing to not only learn but do the things necessary to get those skill sets to take that job. Yeah. And after all, we all need to replace ourselves in the hiring process as it is anyway. That's right. Yeah. And um, and I, I think he appreciated it too. And um, so, you know, he helped groom me and get me to where I was ready to take that position and moved into that role in about, you know, four years after I Stair stepped up to that position after a while and then stayed there for 17 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you were a fixture with the downtown Memphis Commission. I was. When you were in the executive assistant position, what were some of the skill sets you had to either learn or adapt to that would get you to that VP of communications and marketing? I think what I really learned in that position was – the ability to work with so many different types of leaders because we were working it was a public-private partnership you work with the CEOs of businesses you work with your county commission you work with your city council and that got me understanding sort of the, the dynamic of working with the government sector and then the private sector and how those two can play together pretty well can they play together they can uh, yeah as seen in the Construction Career Center. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I really, that helped me kind of, I had never been really involved in public-private partnerships before. And when they work, they work really, really well. And when they don't, it's usually because egos are involved in other issues. But I think what I learned in that role was just how to facilitate getting things done among different personality types more mm -hmm. than anything. So you're there 17 years, and we're going to get to Chattanooga here in a second, but you're there 17 years. What was the most rewarding thing and what was the frustrating thing in, in regard to not so much what you were doing each day, but your career? What's the thing you can point to? Yes, I was part of that, and I'm very proud of that. And then what were some of the frustrations? Yeah, I think what was really cool is – Memphis was kind of a clean slate at the time I started. There was so much opportunity there. And um, seeing, you know, we would start these little initiatives that were like, well, let's do a branding for, we had a district called South Main. I think mm -hmm. your brother lives there, right? <laughs> yeah, my, my brother John lives down, down yeah. on South Main. And he, you know what? He loves it. 
he works at AutoZone. He can walk to work. He could ride his scooter and uh, yeah. just loves living downtown. Yeah. When, you know, 17 years ago, there were very few people living there. And then they had all this beautiful building stock and so much opportunity and potential. And it was just a matter of packaging it mm-hmm. and getting developers to kind of put their intent up and saying, oh, there's potential here. The rewarding thing was being able to take all these assets package them, present them, and then seeing the developers come in. So we, you know, I think we did this for South Maine, and within a couple of years, we had a half a billion dollars of investment rolling. Wow. And then that just built and built, and now you've seen it over the past decade, the change in that one little neighborhood. Now we're seeing that in other neighborhoods around downtown, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a long game. It doesn't just happen, the wand. So. Well, and, and for years, and, and both Leslie and I are, are, are Memphians, Beale Street, you didn't go south after Beale Street. Right. And yeah. all of a sudden, the development of South Main, they uh, mothball the pyramid and they build the FedEx Forum. And mm-hmm. anyone who goes down there today, that's the entertainment district. And it's the, the cool place to live. Absolutely. It is so hot. And you're just seeing more and more great things happen in Memphis, which just warms my heart. Good. I think we can both agree that Memphis is, has a bad rap, and it really deserves a better rap. I've, I've always said it's the most underrated city in America. What I like about Memphis is it has a unique feel or uh, a soul that other cities don't have. You walk into Memphis, and you you know that it's got a different feel. They call it grit and grind. Grit and grind, yeah, yep. after the Grizzlies. We both have a love for Memphis, but we both left Memphis. Yeah. And I, and I love going back, and I love my friends, and I love my family here, but I, I found my place, yeah. Chattanooga. So you're in Memphis. You're, you're highly successful. You're with the Downtown Memphis Commission. Your ideas are being implemented. You're, you're taking more of a lead role. And you moved to Chattanooga. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. I was one of Memphis's biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. And, and so... It was a point in my life where I was ready for a different career path. At the same time, I really wasn't thinking about moving or anything like that, but I took a group of people from the chamber, some developers, some uh, downtown stakeholders to Chattanooga Mm -hmm. to look at your innovation district and steal some ideas from your downtown, (laughs) bring them back to Memphis like you do. And so I met with, like, this just dynamic group of people here. Sarah Morgan from Benwood, Charlie Brock, Kim White, Ken Hayes, you know, all these fascinating people who all talked about the Chattanooga way and the collaboration that was here. I was like, wow, if I could bottle that up and take that back, that would be great. And interesting, the way you said that is it's not just Memphis. Right. That, that says that, you know, it, as Memphians tend to think internally and they think, oh, we're the only ones that don't do this right. Right. But it's most cities. This, this is a very unique approach in place. Absolutely. Yeah. As um, in my role at downtown Memphis, I was a student of cities for years and you don't see that. And you see the progress, quote unquote, progress that they're doing is very isolated and done by individuals. And here it seems like you know, it's a city that lifts up by coming together. Mm-hmm. And um, Memphis, I think they've done some amazing things, but the barriers that come along with some of that progress is really hard to climb over. And I think that they could be a lot farther quicker if they were working together. 
<laughs> and I see, I think it's happening more and more now. Um, I think there's a lot of new leadership in Memphis that is embracing this collaborative spirit. And so that's why you see things clipping along a little bit faster there. I'd agree with you on that. So in your role with downtown Memphis, you you bring a group here as an inner city visit yeah. and you learn a lot and you look around and you go, pretty cool place. Awesome. <laughs> kind of like what's going on. Yeah. So you decide to move here. But yeah. did, you didn't just move here blindly. You knew what you were getting into. You had some relationships already built up. Talk a little bit about that transition coming from your position in Memphis, all your contacts, all you've done to really just almost parachuting in. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. And so I, I didn't really know that group of people too well, you know, other than having met them a couple times. Kim, I had met a few times through downtown, the downtown world, and Ken had done some work in Memphis. But when I put my toe in the water and said, I'm thinking about moving to Chattanooga, you and some other people were like so eager to connect me with opportunity and a network of people. And so it was really amazing to me. I mean, I, I came here one day, I think like a Friday and I had meetings from nine until five with different people all day long. And I wasn't necessarily looking for a job. I was just wanting to know who the people were and, you're doing your due diligence. Yeah, seeing what opportunities might be out there. But, yeah, I wouldn't recommend necessarily moving to a city like <laughs> I did. It helps if you have a job first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but That's a nice prerequisite. Yeah. But you, you know what you had? You had a network. Yeah. So how important throughout your career has that networking been? Because you, you mentioned earlier when you were in Atlanta, you had the privilege of working for Hamilton Jordan and, and yeah. your time in Detroit. So talk a little bit about how you network and, and how that's uh, worked for you or benefited you over the years? Well, I think it's all about relationships and, you know, whether that's outside of your, of your work or even internally, uh, it's all about, you know, for me, it's not really fun to work if you don't have a good network of people to come up with better ideas, to, um, talk about challenges, opportunities, and so, um, but the network here in Chattanooga, they're just open. There's a real sense that people want to help each other, mm-hmm. and especially, I think, when they see talent, and it's like, oh, gosh, we got somebody that we want to keep here, and and we can see potential for them to build on to what we've done. I, I, I feel that and see that here. I'd agree with you on that. When I got here, what I found was a welcoming group of people that basically said, look, if you're willing to work, we'll have you. Come on in. There there weren't any walls. And, and I'll tell you to this day, I've been able to do things in this town that I couldn't do if I had stayed in Memphis or gone to another city in terms of involvement and just the level of people I know. Not when I say level of decision-making and, and yeah. being, being in that conversation that in a lot of cities, in, unless you've got 25 30 years in that town they don't they don't invite you to that to be around that table that's right that's right and the other the other thing i think is is neat about at least some of the projects i've worked on here is people want to help you and not take over you know they like they're here to bring their gifts to whatever that project is versus like territorialism i don't know if that's a word but uh, 
It is now. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> uh, in, in other cities where you see, like, uh, there's there's an idea for this project. Oh, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. In here, my experience has been it's ours. You know, let's all come together and make it happen. So you decided to move here. You've, you've networked. You weren't immediately in the current role you're in right. uh, when you got it. So fired up your own marketing company, right? Yeah, I actually have had a side hustle for many, many years. And um, and I so I work with nonprofits and credit unions and downtowns and do strategic planning and marketing for them. And so that, that kind of floated me when I got here until I found something that um, was full-time. So, yeah, it took me about a year, but I got where I wanted to be. So that's your current role. Yes. And as someone who's known you over the years, I, I learned that you're going in this role, and I thought, contractors? <laughs> What's Leslie about contractors? She doesn't know anything about construction. <laughs> I've never seen her on a forklift. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because people are like, a woman in construction? You know what? No, I'm a, I'm a person in association management, and being a female in association management is very common. Right. The, the skill sets are trying to get advocacy done and, and working with lots of people and being organized and planning events and educational opportunities. And, and so I was surprised when being a female and running an association caused such a stir. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that, because all the great things about Chattanooga is we're still a very conservative, small town in a lot of ways. And, yeah. and you're taking over the Association of General Contractors, and, and the image is a bunch of pickup trucks, a bunch of blue jeans and dirty boots. And, yeah, and, like what I'm wearing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what I drove in over. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'd appreciate it if you clean the mud up yeah. when you leave. Yeah. So it, it is um, the industry is fascinating first of all and because I've, again like I've worked with a bunch of different types of industries and association management and I was surprised how complicated construction is people who get into construction and you know I'm working with the business owners primarily I think that they are the biggest risk takers in business that you could possibly be. I mean I it just boggles my mind the risk that these business people take on and how smart you have to be to kind of navigate the legal implications, the financial implications, the personalities that they deal with on a daily basis. It's just, there's so much. It is a very hard job. And so our, you know, what we do at AGC is trying to make it easier for them and mm -hmm. take some of that weight off their shoulders by pushing forth um, smart legislation, smart policies to help their businesses thrive and to give them educational opportunities for them and for their employees. And um, primarily, our goal now is to give them a better workforce. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the impetus for the Construction Career Center came along. And talk about how that came up, where it is now, because that is a huge emphasis for every industry today, workforce and workforce development. People just can't find workers. And I would imagine for years, we, we did a poor job as a country pushing everyone into four-year college degrees. Well, you can't be anything unless you have a four-year college degree. And the reality is there's great lifestyles associated with a lot of different industries and vocations and construction being a, a main one of those. So how did it all come about? And, and tell us more about Career yeah. Construction Center. When I started, well, I went to our members and we surveyed them and said, what can we do? Like, why did you hire me? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> 
And they said, well, you know, if you can get us a work, a better workforce, more people, more qualified people, then you're really doing something. And the other thing that I heard was we want this organization to be more relevant, not only for our industry, but in the business community. So, you know, we started looking around, you know, what, what type of workforce training is there? How are we getting a pipeline of people? And, and quite frankly, there wasn't the right type of training to get anybody who was going through a training program, other it, unless you were in a union program, hired. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, maybe what we need to do is sell our office, buy a warehouse, start our own training program, and, and do that. So we put our office on the market. <laughs> we were going to buy a warehouse and start our training program. We didn't really know what that looked like, but we knew we had to take some big, bold steps, and the board was like, let's just do this. And as we were going through that process, we started talking to Hamilton County Schools and Chattanooga State and TCAT, and they all wanted to get in on that. And Hamilton County Schools, Dr. Johnson was the superintendent of schools at the time. He was very interested in launching something similar to Kirkman at the time. Mm -hmm. But he said he didn't want to do that unless he had strong industry support. And he knew that we were talking about putting a lot of money into this training program that we were talking about. And he said, well, what if we partner and we, you know, start a new, new vocational school together with industry and education coming together, putting together curriculum that will actually get people jobs when they graduate. And so that's where that started. We brought uh, the chamber, brought Chattanooga State in on the conversation, and Dr. Ashford was like, yes, yes, we needed we need to be a part of that too. So what culminated was sort of this model for vocational training, we think, where you have under one roof high school, you have a community college program, and you have professionals and employers in the industry all under one roof. We offer continuing education programs for our employers and, and people who are in, to, in the industry. So you have all the whole mix of people in construction that are getting trained under one roof. And we have hired a workforce director who is working with all of the students. She knows every single student going through that program right now. And she's connecting them with jobs. And the jobs are there. The right? jobs are there. Is a typical student going there on a particular career path of, I'm going to be an electrician, I'm going to be general construction, or is it more general learning all different skills? Yeah. Industry came and said what would be helpful is not to come up with like your electrical program, your plumbing program, your masonry program. What we would like to see is sort of kids getting a whole bird's eye view of the construction process and going through a program that gets them a little bit of hands-on training on everything so that they can decide which avenue that they want to go into because nobody coming out of a program like that is going to be a master electrician or a master plumber. What we want them to do is kind of have understand what an employer wants and needs, understand how construction works and holistically and then be a good worker. So as part of the program, we're bringing industry in to tell them what they expect as employers. Mm -hmm. And we're teaching leadership skills. We're teaching resume building. We're teaching what to wear for an interview, how to look people in the eye, how to talk, when to show up, all that kind of stuff. Is that just the high school portion of the program? 
it's heavily on the high school portion mm-hmm. of it, but that's being taught at the adult level too, yeah. So some of the people coming through the adult program, resume building, that's not their strong suit. So we're, we're helping them. We really are. You make this all sound so easy. This is going to sound weird, but it was a lot easier than it sounds. And, and that's because the right people were in place, in particular, Mayor Coppinger. He came in and he kind of wrangled us together and said, you know, this is a great idea. This is an asset for the community. This is an asset for the industry. And, um, you know, let's figure it out. But, you know, when it started, it was not, let's create this great community asset. That's not where we were coming from. We were like very selfish. We were like, we need people. Yeah, you're, you're was, wanting to fill the needs of your of your association. That's right. I mean, it was very practical. But as we got into it and Chip Henderson, Councilman Chip mm-hmm. Henderson, kind of led us to this facility over here in the Avondale neighborhood. The old Mary Garber School, is that Mary correct? Mary Garber School, yeah. yeah. And um, we were like, wow, you know, if we can pull from this segment of people, that's an audience that we have not talked to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, typically construction has done a terrible job of marketing to everybody. They've looked at that outer circle, the rural areas, Mm -hmm. and they haven't really focused on inner city. And it's like, what? We have this huge group of people here Mm -hmm. um, that need jobs, and we just need to train them and give them that opportunity and tell them that we want to train them. So um, it turned into what we think is going to be a great community lift for people who need jobs that haven't had the opportunity to go to a four-year college. And um, the great thing about the school is the jobs that we can put these people in once they graduate, our graduates into, they're going to be making good money right away. Tell the the pickup truck story. And I call it the pickup (laughs) truck story because you told me the story, you know, basically pitching the value of these kind of jobs and the kids really didn't pay attention until they saw the parking lot. Right. (laughs) That's right. It was like, you know, how do you, how do you convince kids to get into this career path? And it's like, you know, fill up a parking lot with F-150s and F-250s and and they'll start to notice what they're rolling up in. I mean, kids and cars, you know, that's what it is. And, and so we tell people all the time, that gets people excited. That helps them understand. It's a visual that mm-hmm. shows them their success after at, in construction. There's money in construction. If you're willing to work hard and do the things that you need to do to, to, to move up, it's not easy work, but it is very rewarding and fulfilling. And I was naive when I got into this industry about how much money you can make in construction. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was a welder. Yeah, here we are, a couple of PR majors. <laughs> but it, it's really exciting to see, you know, some of the opportunities because a lot of these kids, we can get them placed, and some of them are going to be making more money than their family has seen. Yeah. So we hope that word gets out about the center and that opportunity gets out for people to see this as an opportunity for their children, and and even for people who want to make pivots in their career to come back and, and go through the program. So the Construction Career Center, big, bold step for AGC. What's next? So part of the Construction Career Center was to build more value for our association and so that we could go back to the industry and say, this is an example of what we can do when we all come together and collectively work as an industry to better not only our industry but the people in it 
So uh, last year, we went through a strategic planning process, and our mission changed to we are building the foundation for the next generation in construction. And so we're about to go through that process again and figure out what our next step is. Because I got to tell you, I really like having these big projects to work on. And I I think there's a lot of opportunity to do do that. Well, Um, you're good at them, too. Well, you know, it helps when you have so many people who want to help. But don't underplay your role in it because it takes a driver like yourself, a collaborator like yourself, to bring all these people together. Because if you don't have that, at the end of the day, self-interest are going to ruin a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I think having been in the public-private sector for in Memphis for such a long time and, and it being difficult to get things done, you learn when to defer and you learn when to say, okay, we don't have to do it this way, even though I really wanted to do it this way. Uh, You learn how to acquiesce and you learn how to massage things so that everybody has ownership in the project. And I do pretty good at that. Absolutely. (laughs) And those lessons are not just for big projects. And what I want to do with this podcast is give those examples to people who are building their careers that basically you take these things in everything you do. Yeah, I think anybody who is a CEO or a president or whatever running an organization or not, even anybody who is feels successful in their in their work has had a bumpy ride. Yeah. And if you haven't then probably I, not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You haven't learned you haven't taken your licks, you haven't learned your lessons because you do you learn when you fail, you, it's such a cliche, but that's when you really learn. And and then also knowing what your gifts are and what your weaknesses are, and, you know, play into your strengths. Don't play into your weakness. Find the people who are strong at what your weaknesses are and build them up. That took a long time to learn. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I can fix it. You know, like, (laughs) I I know I'm not good at this, but I'm going to force myself and figure it out. But, you know, learning to, and this is a hard one for me, is learning to ask for help. Yeah. (laughs) And to... To not like try to control things and you know get it done the way I would want to do that that took a while to kind of. What would you tell your twenty five year old self? What's really important? Uh, I think I would say, know your value. Know your value and um, and don't get cocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that you talked about balance. There, mm-hmm. there is a balance between that being humble. But also knowing that, you know, don't be afraid of what you're bringing to the table and and be confident in what you are bringing to the table. So don't be afraid to lift your voice and and express your opinion. As you talked about earlier in your career, saying, I've got all these good ideas that I tell people kind of, hey, we should be doing this and this. And then someone goes, I've got a great idea. (laughs) That's right. But but I I think the humble thing is important, too. And, And Jobs and positions tend to define us. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that anyone that's building their career tend to overemphasize their title and their job and what they do as opposed to who they are. That's right. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that a lot. When you're younger, you strive to get to that title. And then when you get to the title, you're like, you know what? What I want really in life is balance. And it's funny to see how transition throughout your career path and what you what you think is important may will shift it really will shift as you get older and 
wiser, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's easy for me to say now that I I'm know, old, now that. you know, but it, it is true. And, and I'm so glad you found balance. And I'm so glad that you've agreed to be with us on My Morning Cup. Thank you for being here today. This has been fun. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.